I had a funny thing happen to me over this weekend. Uh, it would have been funnier if our, our guests were here because our guests were a part of this. Um, there's a, a local bar uh, that I and my friends go to pretty often uh, in my hometown of Redacted, Redacted, <laughs> Redacted. Mr. And, Black. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, I, I was kicked out of that bar this weekend. Um, I just want to make a point to any listeners that don't know. Chase doesn't drink. Chase, yeah, I was just yeah. I was, was just gonna say. So yeah, my friends my friends know this about me, but I am uh, I'm over five years sober. Mm-hmm. I haven't I haven't had a I haven't had a drip of alcohol since uh, 2016 August 20. Well, I did break a little bit after August 28th, but August 28th is like my official sober date. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't drink. Um, and actually, despite I deserve to get kicked out of many, many bars in my lifetime, but, um, uh, Saturday was the first time I'd ever actually been kicked out. I was out of, I was inside of the bar. I had been inside of a bar for about two hours. Yeah. I left the bar to go make a call to my girlfriend Mm -hmm. and I talked with her for about 20 minutes. When I walked back into the bar. Mind you, I had been in this bar for two hours. I was asked to show my ID. I promptly showed my ID, demonstrating that I was 28 years of age. Mm-hmm. Person at the gate or whatever. The person at the door. I don't. I forgot what a door is. The person at the door stares at my ID for a little bit of time and without saying a word, walks away. And then they come back and they say, hey, uh, you can't come in. And I said, why? And they said, they said, uh, your IDs expired. And they said, this ID was issued in 2015. Your ID was expired. And I said, if you look on my ID, it actually says it expires in 2023, which Mm -hmm. has not happened yet. It is 2021. My ID expires in April of 2023. That is a little less than two years from now. If you look at it, they looked at it and they went, they took it away again without saying a word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They come back with the manager. My ID has now been bent. No joke. They bent my ID. That was the only thing about this that really pissed me off. Like I wasn't like upset about anything. I just thought it was more funny, yeah. but they bent my ID and they said, yeah, sorry, you can't come in. I said, I literally, I was in here two hours, like for like 20 minutes ago, I've been in here for two hours. <laughs> and they said, sorry, like, I don't know what to tell you. The manager doesn't want to let you in. They think your ID is sketchy. I said, why? They said, look at the back of it. It's all messed up. I said, it's been in my wallet for seven years. <laughs> has anything that's been in your wallet for seven years, it, it, has, it, has it remained in pristine condition? They said, I don't know what to tell you. I said, I've literally given you, I've handed you, not this bar, you, you, this exact individual, I've handed you this ID to get three darts from you before. In the past, I've given you this exact ID and I've I've never had a problem. I was in here 20 minutes ago. I ordered and I was like, you know what's fucked up about this? I'm sober. I was like, I'm literally here hanging out with my friends. Like the whole premise of why you are banning me from this bar is like dumb to begin with because I haven't had a drop of alcohol in almost five years. They said, what do you want me to say? I said, what do you want me to say? I was like, this is absurd. This is absurd. I was in here. Like for two hours playing darts with no incident. I literally like, I, so I, they said, sorry, I don't know what to tell you. So I texted my friend. Okay, just for further context, for further context, my friends who are in this bar with me, mm-hmm. they're regulars at this bar. But not only are they like regulars at this bar, like some of the bartenders, like one of the bartenders has crashed on the couch of one of the people I was there with, right? Okay, yeah. They nominally have a closer relationship with the people I was there with than me. And the yeah. people I was there with were like, this is like a 28-year-old man. He's <laughs> been in this bar with us countless times. Like, I've literally gone here so many times. It's one of the first places I went to when I moved to this city. I've been there. You've been there. David, you went there with me. You went there with me. Yeah, they didn't even you- ID me. Yeah, they didn't even ID you. And all of a sudden, I'm being banned from the bar. So my friends, they they tell, they tell like go up to the bartender, and I'm standing outside in the cold, the freezing cold, and the freezing cold is like 50 degrees to me. I'm standing outside in the freezing cold, 
And literally my friends all come out and they go, we don't know what to do. You, you, you're kicked out. And I was like, cool, I guess. I was like, this is like, so like patently absurd. Like I wasn't even upset. I was just like, like in awe of what a stupid situation this was in. My friend, my friend was, who was supposed to guest today. He was even more livid. He is like a regular at this bar and he swore up and down. He's like, I am never going back to this bar again. And I was like, even to me, I was like, okay, well, you don't have to do that. I was like, you love this place. I was like, hell, I'm going to probably try to come back eventually. Like, yeah, we should go my... again. I like that bar. I, I bet that that ID will get you in next time you go there. <laughs> it probably will. They, it might not, honestly, because they probably remember. I was literally like, what if I, you I didn't want to cause blast? Let's, let's name them. Let's put their name out there so people know. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, fuck it. Who cares? No one's going to listen. Yeah, it was the fucking bar Blueberry Hill. Blueberry Hill on the fucking loop. You're yeah. on Blueberry Hill. You're yeah, on you're on you're on my fucking list. More like, like don't... Blueberry fucking hell, the way you treat your customers. Literally Blueberry Hell. Here's the thing, though. I was literally, I was going to be like, I'm never going to come here again. I was like, they don't give a shit. I've literally never bought anything. Never, never <laughs> yeah, bought they, anything. You just said you don't drink. They're like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, literally, they're like, okay, whatever. Oh, you're going to, like, run us out of, like, club soda. So, yeah, so that was, that was basically the whole story. Um, it was just so absurd on its face, like, I literally given both the bartenders that exact ID before to like get darts and had never had any issues with it. Also, like I don't look like I'm under 21. Like I don't have that. Also, look it's in my not eyes. a fake ID. Like also, just like to be real, like it's, it's just up, a normal ID. <laughs> it straight up isn't a fake ID. And like I said, the only thing that really pissed me off about it was like, yeah, they like bent my ID. So it's like, well, damn, like. That, like, literally, like, the ID wasn't in the best of shape, but it definitely, like, wasn't bent. But, when like, I used bent. to bartend, they would tell us to, like, cut it or do something like that so they couldn't use it elsewhere. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, no, if they, dude, if they had cut my ID in half, yeah. I would have straight up fucking, I would have thrown a fit. I would have straight up gotten behind the bar and started breaking bottles. Like, I don't if they know. cut my fucking ID. Yeah, I don't know how exaggeratory it was, but supposedly, you, like, you bear some liability if you saw a fake id didn't in some way shape or form like infringe on its validity and then somebody uses that fake id to do something that's what they would tell us in like the serve safe courses like at that point in time you are law enforcement when you see a fake id like you have to break that's it false. In front of, yeah there's there's that's no way that's legally actionable there's no way that's legal there's no way they that's legal it's only up and down that's only legal in some like butterfly effect esque world where like you are like yeah you could could you also be legally held liable if you like if you like are in traffic and like you accidentally prevent someone from getting home in time to like I don't know stop a murder like that's such an idiotic way of looking at the holy world. shit I never thought about that but yeah probably you probably yeah you want to know why because that's a fucking absurd that's like an absurd thing that's, that's like an absurd report. thing yeah that's pre-crime. like an absurd thing to have happened yeah pre crime exactly pre crime. Yeah, that's not a thing. Yeah, no, I was I was pretty pissed. I was like, at some point they I thought they were they might have actually I thought they were going to confiscate it because they were like not handing it back to me when they were talking, and I was getting like pretty upset at that point. I was yeah. like, you need to get like that's like literally my only real ID. So like whether or not I'm allowed in this bar is one thing, but if you like take my fucking ID from me, I'm gonna like be really upset. So, yeah. Yeah. No. We yeah. Can't yeah because then i literally like can't legally drive home <laughs> yeah exactly then you destroyed me like right but jesus christ how fucking dare they <laughs> attempt to you were in the bar you were there you yeah were... that was... <laughs> yeah that was the other thing was like i literally like i had been there and i've also gone there so many times what if you're like, the not evil enough... twin of the other guy no 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 and like granted <laughs> David, David just, David just like upchucked like a bottle, like a entire glass of wine. Like he like tilted his head back. It was like three ounces. It was a, it was a responsible pour. Yeah. (laughs) It's just such a funny context. Like you're in your bedroom with like holding the glass of wine by the stem between your hand and just tilting your head all the way back to get every last drop. It's just a very funny image. I do the exact same thing. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, Dave. Now he's doing it with an empty glass. I do. Yeah. I can put more in it if I wanted. You should. Humble brag. <laughs> you won't. Humble brag. I have more than two ounces of wine. 
T-Bone's literally like chewing on my microphone cord. Mm. T-Bone, stop. It's because uh, you pissed him off with that story about your ID. He's getting mad. He wants an outlet. He needs to get that aggression out physically. Yeah, he does need to get that aggression out physically. Mm-hmm. Ben, okay. do you want to go to Blueberry Hill? No. Okay. No, no. <laughs> yeah, well, we're definitely not going to go now. They have a really cool Valentine's Day karaoke in the basement. I'm in now. Yeah, that one's fun. Yeah, Ch- they, Sorry, <laughs> Chase. They, they did have a really cool Valentine's Day karaoke in the basement. They did not have it in uh, February of 2021 for some reason. God knows why. Weird. They did <laughs> um, it last year. Yeah, exactly. They did. Yeah, they did it February of 2020. Yeah. But they didn't do it February of 2021. Who knows why? I don't know right. what was going on then. Yeah, they don't believe yeah, maybe, in love anymore. That's probably what they, it is. I think that might have been exactly what it was. They don't believe in love. They they believe in they believe in you know a person's approximation of love, but it doesn't really exist. It's only it's grasping for straws. What does that mean, a person's approximation of love? What that means? Like, like you know, how they want to define it unto themselves. But it's a, it's a, you can't de-abstract it like that. Yeah, they, they think that no matter what, you're always talking past each other a little exactly. bit. Exactly. truly know what the other person is, so how can you claim mm-hmm. to love someone? That's what, they're, that's what they're trying to say. That's what Blueberry Hill believes. Yeah. And also, if at the back of your idea is quote-unquote weird, you can't come in. <laughs> <laughs> that was literally something they said like yeah, the back of your idea is weird because <laughs> it like <laughs> was it weird though was it saying weird shit yeah, what, did, did it turn over was it like rawr and they were like no fuck that <laughs> jesus christ we don't want to let this person in it was just a, it was just a crayon handwriting and it said i am of age to get into blueberry hill <laughs> well, that's fine e that's not weird that's backwards. legally binding that seems good yeah, I had I had a lawyer write on it. He just ran out of everything but crayon. <laughs> Don't you hate it when your lawyer runs out of everything but crayon? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm always talking to him about that. Like with the money, with the money that I pay you, I'm literally paying him a thousand dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. You think you yeah. could get a pen, but you can afford a freaking bic. These supply chain issues. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Yeah, dude. Boy, let's 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 chop it up about these supply chain issues. No, I'm just kidding. I could care less. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We're fucked either way. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it who makes cares? No difference. Yeah. Listen to Creature Hunt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you if you can hear this, you're already doing the right thing. You're already reacting to the supply chain as much as literally. This is the most you can do is listen to Creature Hunt. Yeah. Right. Anyone can do. To, um, you... Actually, that's not true. The most you can do is listen to Creature Hunt and then tell any friends that you know who uh, who like cryptids. Tell them, yo, you should check out this podcast. They like barely talk about cryptids. Yeah, tell, tell your friends that don't like cryptids also. Yeah, <laughs> and you can say the same thing. They barely talk about cryptids. I, hey, dude, I know how we've never talked about Bigfoot. They basically do the same thing over there. It's pretty similar there. <laughs> Except every episode has the name of a cryptid. Creature hunt. Creature hunt. Creature hunt. Creature hunt. Welcome back to Creature Hunt. I'm Chase. I'm Ben. And I'm David. Ooh. Today we're we're having we're uh, we're. S- Switching it up a little bit on the uh, on the audience, aren't we, boys? Yeah, we're switching it up. We I feel like we say we switch it up on them every week. That's right. We're doing a variation on Bigfoot. We're we fucking <laughs> it up this time. Yeah. We got the Yeti. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't here last week. I do not sanction anything the boys said last week. We read a book. We learned how to read for this Part episode. I read the first two chapters of a book. <laughs> okay. I read the seventh and eighth chapters of a book. Okay, I read chapters one through six. So. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> okay. And what what book did we all learn how to read for? Like what like what prompted us to learn how to read this week? It was the Bible. <laughs> yeah, we did the Bible. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, who beget whom? John Keel beget the Mothman prophecies. This week. Let's read. go. Let's yeah. go. He ties it in. Comedic genius, David <laughs> Blank, because I'm considerate. Mm-hmm. Comedic genius, David, just tied it in. This week, we are discussing the first, uh, I don't know, probably like third, maybe two, like quarter. Yeah, first third of John Keel's The Mothman Prophecies. 
loyal listeners will recall that David and I, in the first iteration of Creature Hunt pre-Ben, mm-hmm. otherwise known as the Dark Ages, yeah. did discuss the Mothman. Mm-hmm. However, we're taking it back. We're taking it back to the old school. We're discussing the Mothman prophecies by John Keel for a number of reasons, because it ties into a lot of the cryptids and creatures and ghouls and goblins that we've discussed in previous episodes. The Mothman Prophecies touches on, obviously, the Mothman, but also Injured Cold and the Men in Black, which we maybe have discussed, maybe have not discussed, but is actually um, pretty creepy based on the two chapters that I read. Um, So, yeah, we're really excited to dive into it. David looks like he cannot wait to dive into it. Uh, It looks like, Ben, it looks like you have a Mothman uh, light behind you over your shoulder. I know it's just a bat, but it looks like the Mothman kind of. Hey, I, I mean, I wish. It's, I, uh, yeah. the, that'd be dope if I had a Mothman-style light, but no. It's good self-dressing. <laughs> I, I also wish that was the Mothman behind you, not some stupid fucking bat. Well, don't wish the Mothman was behind me. He's going to bro- break all my bridges. Yeah. He's going to burn them down. Like, <laughs> He's going to burn all your bridges, bro. Exactly, and I don't need that. Yeah. I just came up I just came up with this hardcore, this hardcore lyric. May yeah. the bridges I burn light my way. That's a freaking tough guy hardcore line. That's a pretty good hardcore line. Like that that goes on the shirt for sure. <laughs> like, that goes on the shirt in like old English style font. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or, or the like tough guy in New York hardcore from the eighties and it's just like a really grainy picture in black and white of like a mosh pit and there's like no discernible human features in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One or two of those. That should that'll be our next creature hunt shirt. One or two of those. We yeah. should hardcore style shirt that'd be pretty sick that would be pretty hard <laughs> that would go pretty hard it would go hardcore yeah mm. now i understand why nope I call it that. <laughs> hello okay so we we read different chapters of the mothman prophecies who wants to start us off david you look so excited to do it well i guess let's let ben start us off because i'm the only one who read chapters four through six so basically in these first two chapters, we have the first one is kind of the recountants of um, John Keel uh, visiting Point Pleasant for the first time, right? Like the, the, yeah. the town man, yeah. It's sort of structured in like vignettes, it feels like, the yeah. the chapters are at least. Yeah, I, I get the sense, like, is that, like, how the whole book is, Dave? Like, where it's these, it's, like, each I can say has a bunch of small subsections, yeah. It definitely continues like that. There's, I think, in the fourth or fifth section... There's a point where he sort of he talks a little bit about some some anecdotal stuff, but then he has like his thesis basically on why the book is. Um, it's surprisingly sparse of Mothman for a long time for a book called The Mothman Prophecies. Okay, yeah. I agree. You know, yeah, yeah. You know what? I actually, I honestly, so reading, I I only read the seventh and eighth chapters, um, but just to give like a kind of uh, David quit smiling like. It's just the funniest fucking way to read a book I've ever heard. Yeah. We split it up. We split it up. So I thought thought when we split it up, I thought you meant like we would maybe discuss it separately. Not like we would just skip over a whole chapter to the book and be like, I don't know who these fucking people are, but they're talking to each other. You can (laughs) infer. It's not, it doesn't take some kind of like neuroscientist to infer what someone's talking about. Hey, you got a master's brother. I believe you can, you can get it. It's also not the hardest book in the world to read. Yeah. Yeah, I, and you know, I actually, I should say I enjoyed the chapters that I read. I think Keel's kind of like a compelling writer. It's fun. There's some really funny fucking sentences. There are. Some really funny sentences. He has... Yeah, so so I should say, just to kind of give like a zoomed out large scope of it, it seems like structurally the book definitely um, works on different, telling different parallel narratives all at once that all sometimes intersect and sometimes don't. Characters will kind of flit in and out of each other's stories. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And there are a lot of different uh, uh, cryptids and creepy things that Keel's preoccupied with. The Mothman being one, the Men in Black being the other, Injured Cold being a third that I saw. Ben, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. It is him trying to kind of create this holistic view view of this thing, like, and essentially create the web that that um, the conspiracy rests in. Yeah, it is it's it's yeah. cryptid string theory. He is literally trying to do cryptid string theory. Yeah. Right. 
and I, I can say I found him to be pretty compelling, but as David says, like he has, it seems like he's got like a, a he's a really good uh, art, like narrative artist, but then he'll just have these sentences where he just matter of factly says, well, obviously I was bombarded with ultrasonic rays during when I drove through this section of town. So what are you gonna do? And it's it, it's pretty funny how you know because of. I think the goodwill that he builds up by kind of crafting this narrative, I think he feels like he can like slip in these assertions that he feels are obvious, but are maybe but, not so obvious. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it is really interesting how that creeps in because it is, it does just feel like you said, like a narrative until something like that happens. It's just like, Oh, you know, he's going and he's, feels that it feels that he's attempting to report journalistically because isn't it a big thing in the first chapter where he talks about how like oh yeah most of the ufo reports you get are fake and most of them are hoaxes like but i'm gonna tell you about the The real real ones ones. yeah because he considers himself to be a serious investigator who's like rooting out the ones that aren't actually happening like that that matters to him as much as finding the real ones almost yeah yeah very good no you please please oh i was gonna say yeah he uh a lot of that stuff he sort of um brings to fruition sort of in like the fourth part where he talks about how uh basically the reason that and it's a, it's a fun story for sure but the reason that aliens sort of propped up or a, suddenly alien sightings were a big thing in the around the turn of the century and stuff is because it was just another way of um describing like lights in the sky and his whole thing was the lights in the sky thing was the essential like that's a real thing that happened so before the industrial revolution it was we just thought it was like spiritual or gods and obviously there's a million holes to poke in the theory but his idea is that like there is this ultra terrestrial which is his like terminology for cryptid anything basically there are these ultra terrestrials that I believe we've even sort of talked about before, that, like, interact with our world from a different dimension. But the really wild thing is, it seems like in the Mothman Prophecies, that he is explicitly saying, these are not extraterrestrials. And he's like, actually, it's fucking stupid that you would think they're coming from other planets. That's not what it is, (laughs) dummy. They're from (laughs) other dimensions, and we think they're from other planets. And he's like, and people think, the wildest things rather than the simple answer which is that they're from other dimensions <laughs> <laughs> the obvious was john keel the guy that we talked about very early in who like thought that one of these things was contacting him but it was just his friend pranking yes yes him? yeah like yeah. <laughs> and he's just like i got the tapes right here one calls me every day and talks to me about you know the weather and sandwiches yeah and like, right that's right. just another guy fucking with you <laughs> like yeah he, he does a good job of, like, establishing credibility. And, like, if you knew nothing else about him, which, like, maybe in, like, 1970 when this book was published, like, you wouldn't know anything mm-hmm. else about him. He does a really good job of, of establishing himself as a credible source, like, in his own eyes. But then when you mm-hmm. learn about the context, you're like, this guy's kind of, like, a credulous fool sometimes. Yeah. yeah. It's, what are you going to do? It's very interesting, too, because I was unaware. So... You know, with with all my burgeoning knowledge of cryptozoology and like the very tangential field of ancient aliens, which feels very much one and the same, um, mm-hmm. I sort of thought that those they ran parallel essentially. Um, mm-hmm. But it, Keel like explicitly it, it distances himself from like the extraterrestrial ancient alien people, and he's mm-hmm. like they like they they sort of get it. But the problem is, again, like, they think these things came from other worlds, and really they just came from a different version of our world, which, again, is it's, and it just, it's an out-of-the-box thinking. It's out-of-the-box yeah. thinking, I'll give him that. But he, like, but, explicitly is like, no, we're not these ancient alien people, and they're bad. Yeah, they don't know how the world works. Yeah. It's- it's funny because it's out of the box thinking applied to already out of the box thinking. Like it's like no, you got to expand further than that, ancient alien guys. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, let's get like just uh, kind of a, a summary, like what goes on in the first couple of chapters. Yeah. All right. So like I was saying, he comes to Point Pleasant and um, is kind of hanging around there and, and gives this. I, I think um, one of the 
best moments in what I read in the very beginning is when he is talking about this mysterious figure that comes into this small town and it feels like he's describing a man in black. But really, he's just describing himself. It's like the reveal. He's like, but actually, that was me. And I think that that does a great job of kind of like doing the establishing credibility thing of him saying, like, look, we think things are one way because of how we perceive them. I was a long-haired guy from New York Mm -hmm. in a small town. I looked super out of place. And so, of course, people were not trusting of me. So how could – and that kind of feeds into that other thesis of, like, people are going to mistake – a mysterious action as to what its true origins are, mm-hmm. which I think it's to feed into his later idea of saying, like, it's not aliens, it's interdimensional creatures when he kind of goes off the wall with it. But that initial observation, I think, is really good. Like, yeah. And, and it's just kind of him going around and introducing a few people that he's going to be talking to in the first chapter. And the second chapter is where he starts to introduce a, a few more what I believe will be recurring characters, like the woman that works at, that has like the records of the UFOs and whatnot. I'm not sure if she comes back later, but there is that in the second chapter. Is that Mary Heyer? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. she's in yeah, it she's quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, because the and that's also where he establishes the idea of the Men in Black, like there yeah. being these other people that come around to try to get people to stop talking about um, UFOs. And it seems that he holds to the belief that these Men in Black are interdimensional beings themselves not that they're government agents they seem to take on that alien quality as as well and it's more like them trying to cover mm. up their own existence yeah yeah it's yeah oh good yeah i was sorry i was just gonna say without getting too deeply into my chapters early that's definitely like a facet of it ben i think that you really hit the nail on the head where it's kind of unclear like um, he definitely describes men in black figures and, you know, uh, culturally we didn't, we know them to be kind of like secretive government agents, but mm. the, the vibe that I get from Keel is that he thinks them, he thinks of them, like he describes some of them as like Android, like, like they could potentially even be like androids. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll, we'll go deep into that. Um, once I hit my chapters, cause they're the chapter I read is all about like this whole, a whole chapter devoted to, um, Point Pleasant's interactions, uh, with, the so-called men in black okay mm. yeah cool that's where there's i think there's maybe a couple that because there's uh the he, the fifth one is his one where he meets uh Derenberger, um and yeah. the whole injured cold thing um and he also has a couple anecdotal little things about the men in black there as well um what would sort of was strange i mean i'm sure as we continue reading like i'll get a better uh judgment of it but I'm, I'm curious as to what he thinks, um, like, the government's culpability is in Ultra Terrestrial. Like, he, he, I mean, he, he touches on them basically covering it up, sort of. But it's not as if, like, they're in cahoots with Ultra... Or as if there's any agenda being enacted or anything like that. Just that, like, I guess they have... Maybe it's just the, the standard, like, oh, they, they think that the world would panic... So they just keep it hidden because they don't know what it is kind of thing. But I'm that actually, that's actually pretty much exactly it. So they do touch on that a little bit in the chapters that I read, Dave. Um, mm. It's never explicitly stated, but uh, and, and maybe it will as we continue reading the book. We only read about, you know, I'd say a little under half of it. Mm. But it seems like the the thesis that Keel seems to be hinting at is that these like ultra terrestrials are, uh, you know, the kind of like these other dimensional creatures and like the men in black are sort of uh, chasing after their own tail, so to speak, and trying to like cover these up. Did you ever, did you guys ever watch that Stephen King, uh, the the adaptation of the Stephen King movie, The Mist? Um, no. The, it's actually a pretty good movie and basically the whole bit of it is like this mist uh overtakes this town and there are like creatures in the mist that kill people and you know people are um like shacked up in this grocery store to hide from the creatures in the mist um but something that they kind of don't uh really explicitly say but that they um you know hint at is that this small town is the site of a, like an air force base and that the air force base may or may not have been like experimenting with pulling in creatures from other dimensions and that this mist may or may not have come from this other dimension. It's actually a pretty interesting. I, I like um, that concept. may or may not like there, there is an air force base. They may or may not be experimenting with extra dimensional weaponry. Well, it's, it's literally never confirmed. It's right, because right. like, there's a character in the air force base who like, they kind of hint at it, but it's been a while since I saw the movie. So yeah. 
you know, I can't say for sure, but it's, I think the Air Force character winds up getting murked like halfway through. Mm. So it's never confirmed, but it seems like that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting from, you know, the Mothman prophecies where, you know, John Keel is um, kind of hinting that this is sort of like the function of the men in black. Like they're trying to cover up, uh, you know, knowledge of these ultra terrestrial beings. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, maybe we'll confirm that as we continue on, but who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it it is it's interesting so far. I mean, again, I like the the whole unified theory of cryptids. Uh, he sort of talks about like his, his big thing. I think we mentioned it the first time we talked about Keel, um, but he thinks like a lot of cryptids are these Garudas, which are these mm-hmm. like Indian, uh, like ancient Indian mythological winged beast things. Um, but he sort of talks about like what I'm guessing is the Jersey Devil. Um, and he talks about, uh, ones in Florida over the Tamiami trail. So I'm not sure if that's supposed to be skunk ape or whatever, but there's, there's just like these Ur cryptids that exist universally. Um, it's, he, he talks about the, this idea of dis, disunionment or something like that. Basically a big driving theory behind a lot of the ancient alien stuff is that there are these similarities between architectural stuff geographically super separated so why how is it that two people came up with a similar design independently or whatever whatever so rather than it being probability ancient alien people say oh it's aliens came down and gave it to us well john keel's whole thing is well those are both ridiculous ideas the reason that it looks the same is because there was one world culture and it was ultra terrestrial culture so it is it is basically still just ancient aliens but just like these cryptids are sort of like these benevolent things and i guess i can't just say cryptids because he believes it's like a whole society of people does he describe them as benevolent though no no not necessarily benevolent but in viewing these in in interpreting similarities in geographically distant constructions as influences influenced by this or you know being influenced by this global culture i think the idea is that like they're the forebearers of like ancient world history kind of thing gotcha gotcha so maybe not benevolent but you know right right yeah that does that sounds pretty fascinating he doesn't really get into all of that in um the chapters that i read that's sort of um tamped down i suppose um so you know he really in in chapters seven and eight um, he really starts to sort of hone in on specifically on um, the Mothman as well as um, the the so-called Men in Black. Um, the and, prophecies, yeah. Yeah, the titular <laughs> prophecies, so to speak. Um, so he's basically describing these incidents um, that have occurred all throughout Point Pleasant that have uh, been re- uh, described to him by um, town members. Um, different things are happening. Um, some of it way more serious sounding than others. Um, uh, there's, uh, two couples that describe, um, getting phone calls late at night, um, in which they're hearing heavy breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, <laughs> those calls. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, he kind of like goes into, uh, he kind of like goes into what it could be. This is a pretty fun, uh, funny line. He basically argues that um, the heavy breathing could not be a sex nut. Um, basically, he writes, Today, heavy breathers plague telephone subscribers from coast to coast and are usually assumed to be sex nuts. When I received many such calls in 1967 and 68, I recorded some of them and studied the tapes. The sound is more mechanical or electronic than human and is probably caused by the introduction of a modulated current into a telephone line. The phenomenon is not isolated to the cities. People in remote towns with a population of only 25 or so also get these calls. The heavy breathing of the sex nut who supposedly masturbates while he listens to a female voice on the line. And here he's italicized sex nut who masturbates while he listens to a female voice on the line. I don't really know why I find that pretty good. Uh, Contains... Yeah, yeah. Contains cer- so the the sex nut who masturbates while he listens to a female voice contains certain recordable vocal characteristics which are totally absent in the heavy breathing calls I taped. What the fuck is like, he talking about? What the I fuck are you talking no about, idea. John? <laughs> yeah, played at a slower speed. 
<laughs> Played at a slower speed, the recorded breathing was an evenly spaced series of pulses resembling the swishing sound of a phonograph when the needle reaches the end of the record and does not re reject. Heavy breathing would not be so uniform. So he's he's pretty he's kind of an expert um, it seems on he on sure shit wants you to think so yeah yeah I I do love the it's not <laughs> yeah I do love the idea of this like weird hippie guy in the 1970s like listening to um, like sex nuts who are just like jerking off while he's on the other line and he's like I'm gonna record this and just get a sense of what this is all about Hot, yeah um, I need to compare this to later high as <laughs> shit like. Oh, there's a certain rhythm here. I don't. I, this is absent in some other heavy breathers. Like I can tell. Right. Right. Yeah. Different. This is more phonograph based. Than yeah. Right. <laughs> you can feel the Absolutely. texture. So yeah. So that's one section where he's talking about heavy breathers. But then he actually talks about going to those TNT drums. So just for context for listeners who haven't listened to our second episode, um, you know, the Mothman um, is kind of spotted at these. Um, old industrial sites um point pleasant was like a manufacturing town during world war ii and after the wars uh, of the mid 20th century you know all the all of the manufacturing left and so these like weird uh, abandoned industrial sites are kind of peppered throughout um point pleasant west virginia and um uh keel goes to one of these sites um with several of the people who um, claim to have seen the Mothman. Um, while they're there, they claim to see the Mothman. They claim to see his red eyes and like hear something metallic. John Keel basically says, I didn't see shit. I didn't hear shit. Um, but it's clear to me um, that these people were simply, uh, uh, you know, going through a phenomena. Uh, they were bombarded with like UFO type phenomena that I just simply could not see. Hmm. Um, you know, say, take <laughs> very trusting, very trusting. He also describes this weird incident where he um, is like driving through Point Pleasant and he drives through this one area and as he drives through it, he's like overcome with this like wave of fear, just like he's like paralyzed with fear. Mm -hmm. But after he like drives, like is done driving through the area, he goes like it goes back to normal. He no longer like feels afraid and he keeps driving through this area and every time he drives through the area, he is like he is overcome with this overwhelming sense of fear. So naturally he like stops and like, like sits and stands in this area for a little bit yeah. and um, essentially asserts that he's bombarded um, with like these ultrasonic rays oh, hell yeah. um, that induce fear. Um, uh, Havana syndrome. Though, Holy shit. He had Havana syndrome. It, it, it literally could be the, the precursor to Havana syndrome where um, instead of getting a, a tummy ache, he, he gets the, the, the spookies. You know, yeah. he's like, oh, I don't feel so good. It's scary around here. Them damn Castro's did it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, um, he really doesn't um, – he really doesn't – he can't figure out where the ultrasonic beat waves of fear are being emitted from. And that's kind of it right. for that for, for chapter seven. Yeah, he just says, yeah, you know, these are this is all evidence of, um, you know, something something weird going on, yeah. uh, but we really don't know what. What could it be? Not for me to say, says John Keel, and it's like right. the book. John is like not for me to say. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> chapter eight is really where um, it actually kind of gets interesting. So chapter eight is where he describes the interact, the many interactions of the people in the town with the so-called men in black. And this is why it's, it's, it's pretty odd because the way he describes them are as like otherworldly people. Like they're described as, as beings that like could not be human. And yet they like are appearing as human. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, so Mary Heyer, um, works, uh, who is a character who um, we brought up earlier. So she's visited by one of these people. Um, she's visited by a man who's four foot six, um, wearing these like weird platform shoes. He has a bowl cut haircut and deep set eyes. And they say that he's talking in this like really um, like robotic way. Oh, you didn't tell um, me you were in the and... story. Huh? You didn't tell me you were in the story. Exit. <laughs> Leaves again. Chase has taken off his headphones. He's walking away. He's out of here. Uh, he's made a little bindle. He's put all of his mm -hmm. stuff into it and tied the bindle to a stick and he slung it over his shoulder. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's walking down the road with his thumb out. Yeah. 
<laughs> the music from the end. Yeah, of I'm that. glad oh, you turned. The scene is playing. Oh, he's back. He's back. Jason's back. <laughs> I'm glad you turned your camera off, you sick fuck, because I'm gonna come through that camera and bust your shit down. <laughs> Whose camera turned off? My camera didn't turn off. Your camera turned off to me. Maybe, maybe my computer knew how fucking livid I was at yeah, you, and they were like, was. "Okay, wait." We have to turn the camera off before um, Chase goes absolute beast mode on David. He's gonna go NAS, and there's nothing we can do to yeah. stop him. Yeah, I'm about, I'm about, I'm about to uh, come through the computer and shoot you in the head with a gun. I'm about to go Gothman prophecies on your ass. <laughs> You're about to go Gothman prophecies. Gothman prophecies. Gothman. Gothman. Um, okay, before I was so. Um, <clears throat> rudely um insulted by my you know and one thing i want to say here but actually before i continue is um that when you make those kind of like interpersonal barbs at your friend um it speaks more about your character than it does mine um and you're of a low moral standing and i'm not Mm -hmm. so we just have to kind of live with that that we you know kind of run this podcast together okay that some kind of like creature who doesn't even deserve to like live at the base of my feet mm-hmm. gets as much airtime as I do. Yeah. We operate on a caste system. You raised your hand, Dave, yes. Mm-hmm. Hey yeah, yeah I just ahead. wanted to I just wanted to talk real quick and uh Yeah, first time long time. Would, yeah, 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 it's first time long time. I just wanted to call and say I totally side with the dude who's not Chase. I forget his name, but I fucking hate the other one. And we're just going to put this caller off the air. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, um, I hope your house is burned to the ground. Um, yeah. I hope your bloodline runs fallow. Um, no. I hope that uh, I hope that the weltering winds um, leave you chilled to the bone. Mm. That's right. And, and he loves his bloodline. I love my bloodline. <laughs> yeah, Dave, you love your bloodline. Well, you should have thought of that before you were so unbelievably rude. Yeah. That is my bad. For the record, I'm four nine. <laughs> just for the record, without like, platforms. I'm, without platform, yeah, with like barefoot, I'm four nine. Yeah, just for the record, I'm like actually super tall for for um, being a man in black. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway. So what did she do with you? What did Dave say that made you so angry? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. And we're actually editing it out. Actually, he's off the podcast. <laughs> we've done this dance before yeah we've done we've we sure so done. we made we made we made jokes about david like joining um the taliban i'm actually going to send his information to al-qaeda like i'm gonna send his like social security number i literally know it because david oh thank you so much me. we have a bunch of products we think he'd be interested in yeah, I'm literally going to send your information to the Taliban, and they're going to come and get you, and they're going to recruit you, and you're going to be forced to do whatever they want you to do. We'll, we'll keep going. Okay, so um, so chapter eight. So yeah, this, um, this manlet um, played by David um, appears in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and he accosts um, Mary Heyer. Later on, um, uh, a man by the name of Edward Christensen is visited by um, an, an almost opposite being. It's like a six foot seven, three hundred and pound, broad shouldered man, also wearing platform shoes, um, who basically tells Edward Christensen that you know he may have been the benefactor of uh, some money and is asking him a bunch of really really specific questions for forty five minutes. Awesome. Um, cool. And you know, all, basically, he's asking him about the exact length, diameter, and shape of some birth, scars he might have, birthmarks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and the Point Pleasant residents, to their credit, um, don't really think much of this. Um, you know, and it's like the 1960s and 70s, so people are usually pretty credulous and pretty trusting overall. And it's only really like John Keel that um, that puts everything together and says, like, you know, all of these people have kind of like certain characteristics um, that are um, defined and central to one another. The platform shoes, the weird haircuts, the stilting way of talking, the almost inhuman or human-esque way of talking. They sound like the French. Um, I've been disco dancers. (laughs) (laughs) He might have just been describing like, like the precursors to disco dancers. I do think it's weird how they all ask random questions. The only kind of weird and creepy thing that's unexplainable is that there is a woman going around claiming to be John Keel's secretary, also getting information um, from uh, Point Pleasant residents. 
mm-hmm. the only reason that John Keel finds out about this is because people are saying, well, as I told your secretary, to which he responds, I don't have a secretary. Because, like, literally, who would work for this man? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it almost seems as though the men in black, like, uh, have some sort of idea of John Keel and have perceived him and know of him as well and are using his presence um, to sort of, you know, um, plug the town for information, so to speak. So these men in black figures, they're not sort of explained. Um, you know, I, they probably will be later on. We'll just have to find out maybe next episode. Yeah, um, to me. Yeah. yeah. But he does end Chapter 8 by discussing the CIA. Um, and and basically, um, basically, matter-of-factly states that the CIA um, does recruit 17 to 25-year-old young men to do their bidding um, and do really weird and awful things. Yep, that's true. Um, that's it does make not a the, bit. Yeah. Yeah, he he does make the assertion that um, Lee Harvey Oswald was himself a an unwitting CIA stooge. Um, so mm-hmm. you know he's not wrong. He's I mean, right like, about that shit. <laughs> he is slipped in there. Yeah. Yeah, like he describes traveling internationally and basically says that no one trusts him and everyone thinks that he's like an agent provocateur from the CIA just trying to start shit when he's actually just looking for cryptids. Yeah. Um, and so it seems as though John Keel is sort of like ascended above this like, oh, yeah, the CIA masterminds everything conspiracy. He's like, yeah, that's like the least interesting thing about them, that they're like masterminding all these coups. The really interesting thing is that they're they could be behind these ultra terrestrial figures and, you know, like uh, covering them up. What if mm-hmm. this podcast becomes like just an archival way of us of like viewing our like deep dive into like 40 and madness? Like, um, isn't it that, that isn't that what we agreed to do? That's what I'm hoping it is. That's what. Yeah, sorry, I, the tone of that was bad. It was more like, "Hey guys, what if this was actually?" <laughs> I, I feel like uh, as I age, I have become more and more invested in conspiracy theories and believe them to be true, and just have no interest in finding out whether or not I'm right or wrong, right or wrong. That's but the it, real bit. Yeah, yeah, I'm both more and less invested at the same time. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I believe more of them are true, but I care less about that fact. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I will spend more time reading about it and literally no time at all giving Damn, any credence to sucks. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I just sort of take as like a matter of fact that um, the CIA orchestrates most of the fucked up shit that happens in the world. That doesn't even, doesn't even feel like a conspiracy theory. <laughs> It's like there's a lot of like documents that have just been leaked that do just kind of point to that being the case. They so, have like, to say it themselves. Like every eight months, they have to be like, "Yeah, we did that thing that one time. Sorry, everybody. Uh, yeah. See you in a year." Yeah. Oops. yeah I, yeah they always say like yeah that was like 20 years ago. Like we don't do any of that shit. But that's like every 20 years they're like, "That was the old CIA. Like we're the new CIA. We wouldn't we wouldn't do anything fucked up like that." Literally all of the same CIA agents are still alive and still work there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. John Keel, um, you know, we'll find out, you know, hopefully by next episode we'll have finished the book. Um, and maybe uh, John Keel I, will have some. What's I, up, Dave? I think if you want to do about the same amount of reading we just did, it would be three-parter. There's like 20 chapters or 19 chapters. There's, there's 19 and we read eight. So. Well, you read two. Okay, okay, Dave. I just, I literally like just learned how to read for this episode. So, do you want to maybe fu- cut me some fucking slack? Just because you're out there reading such great classics as Hop on Pops. No, I don't. No, 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 no. I'm not. I don't want to assign us more homework. That's not what my intention is here at all. Sometimes we have to do the homework. It's okay. No, then that's okay too. My bit though is like I'm definitely going to read the whole book. Like, I'm not just going to read two random chapters and be like, mm, I don't know what the fuck this is about. Okay, well, I don't have time. You don't have. That's okay, bud. Like I'm not telling you to. Okay. We we read. We're, yeah. we're doing one more episode on this book, no matter even if we don't finish it, if we don't get to the end, <laughs> it's it's still over. This is it. <laughs> okay, I fuck with that. I fuck with that. Okay, so we're doing one more episode on this book. We're not doing any more. David, you better fucking finish it. That's. I, I'm gonna try, man. I'm gonna try really hard. It's. It's. Yeah, I, I can do that. I'm just gonna read three. Ran- I'm gonna read three random chapters, and I hope and I hope that they don't inter- interact. Do you know John Keel actually inter- wrote a second book about strictly ultra terrestrials and like John the spectrum wrote, or like, something? Books. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
one called Disneyland of the Gods. Well, that's that a sounds tight. That's just Disneyland. Name. Exactly. That's just that's, Disneyland. You're just that's, that's just right. regular Disneyland. That that's that's for anybody, God or otherwise. Yeah, our listeners should know that we are all. Our listeners should know that we are all Disney adults. Yeah. Like we literally are. All three of us go to Disney yeah. every week. Um, I actually fly in from Missouri to do that. Um, yeah, every single weekend, I literally have never. My dog literally pisses and shits in the house and has doesn't have food for two days every weekend because I spend my time at Disneyland, going absolutely buck wild in the teacups. He he loves the Epcot Center. <laughs> I do love the Epcot Center. I love everything about Disney. Yeah, they've done nothing wrong. I definitely love the way the media has gone because of them. <laughs> it's good that they own it all. Oh my god, are you guys so excited? Are you guys so excited to see the Eternals? Speaking I, of Disney? I, it, Did you see Harry Styles is in it? Did you see a journalist just spoiled that? Like, the day it came out. I can't wait. Does he play Kingo? He plays Eros, the god of love. I wish he played I Kingo. love that. I, I love that they're making a movie out of the Jack Kirby series that he did because he got he no longer worked at DC but kept wanting to write the new gods and they're like okay you can just do it for us and they're oh, like yeah. this will be great <laughs> yeah and it's going to win a ton of awards and it's literally about trauma and what it does to your brain it, i mean it probably will win a bunch of awards and someone will probably say the second part yeah, no, there will definitely be a couple of really good essays written about this movie and how meaningful it is. Yeah, I hope I'm off Twitter. It is meaningful. It sort of percolates. Um, I did see, I obviously I'm not going to talk about it at all. We can talk about it next week. I did see Dune, though, last night. Nice. Yep. Um, it is out, isn't it? Uh, it comes no, out it Thursday. comes out Friday. Well, okay, on HBO, it comes out Thursday. Uh, no, we found, we got it from China. <laughs> we got, got it from China. A sneaky dune. All right. Denevil Noob right. is fucking entering the chat. He's gonna fucking kill me. <laughs> okay. Well, we can talk about Dune next week when I've seen it. I'm the real Dune head here. I wasn't talking. About, I didn't say a single fucking thing about it. Good. Deuce yeah. to Adams. Adams. Good. <laughs> Don't say shit because you're not the fucking Dune head here. You're okay. not the Dune buggy. Okay. I'm the Dune buggy here. That's what we call ourselves. They call yeah. <laughs> and on that note on that note we're done and david's fired okay (laughs) good night everybody (laughs) yeah thanks for joining us this week see you next week bye goodbye come back for episode two goodbye